So, statues. How about those statues? <laughs> like over overseas, you would have seen the news overseas. Time to pull down the pull down statues, and even here in New Zealand, go back. It's not that long ago, back in June. Um, Captain Hamilton was pulled, pulled down in, in Hamilton because um, Captain Hamilton is, um, is regarded as being racist, a colonial imperialist, though uh, they didn't want to have him as uh, his, his statue there anymore. It's offensive to people. And Gisborne, um, there's uh, Captain Cook's statue, which has already been defaced, and there's talk about taking that down and moving that because... Um, because again, like people uh, find it offensive, and when I think about it, um, I'm all for it. Let's tear them down. Let's tear down all the statues. I don't think we should put up any statues of people. To be honest, I think um, if you dig into the history of, of anybody, you, anybody, your, your your greatest hero, you put a statue of them up. If if you dig into their history, you're going to uncover parts of their lives which are not good. Failures in their in their past in their history. That's interesting in these psalms, it, and it talks about lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to Jesus who is higher than I. Anyway, in New Zealand we have this quite uh, interesting interesting thing. We can we can gather as a church. We can sing songs. We can um, pretend as though. Um, not pretend. We, we, we can just forget that the, that the rest of the world is actually not in the grip of COVID. But the reality is, um, you know, just across the ditch in Victoria and New South Wales and, um, and going the other direction and California and, you know, all these countries around the world are getting hit really hard. But here in New Zealand, we're so blessed. But, but we, we forget that. And, uh, and so our headlines are currently to do with, um, with politics and, and especially the, the lives of um, our public figures. We want our politicians. We want our leaders to be um, to be good. And so, um, you know, we've got an election coming up. Um, and you might have seen in the news this week. Uh, there was an article that stood out to me, and it was about this guy. He's 18 years old in, in Palmerston North, and he's standing as a um, national candidate. And um, a photo was taken of him when he was 14 years old. And you, I don't know if you saw it, but he had a little bit of white on his slip. And he was, um, you know, pretending to be Hitler when he was 14. Um, and then there's another story. And in this, in this story, uh, a journalist, I didn't watch it. It was, I think it must have been an interview on a uh, breakfast show or something. And he, and he made a real flippant and offensive comment about a woman. I think it was to do with her hair and, and, and her appearance. And it was just silly. What a stupid thing to do and offensive. And he, and he got called out on it. Um, he should have said it, and so he made his public apology. And then there's the, but then there's the analysis. Was his apology really sincere? Was he just saying it to appear to be good, but actually he didn't really mean it? Um, was he doing it for appearances? Uh, to use the catchphrase, was it, was it in a sense like virtue signaling? Because we really want people to be genuine. We, we want people to have integrity. We want people to be good on the inside and the, on the, and the outside. We want leaders who have these exemplary lives that don't have any skeletons in the closet. <laughs> we don't want fakes. We want their outward behaviour to reflect what's going on underneath. Especially, I don't know, it's probably like this all around the world, but I think these, 
uh, we Kiwis, New Zealanders, we really, we really hold this as being really important. What's on the outside? We want it to be what's matching up with what's on the inside. Um, what's worse than an evil villain? There's an evil villain who pretends to be good. He's doing it for appearances. I think you'd probably call him a spy. But the thing is, if you look hard enough and deep, in, deep enough into the life of um, almost anybody, we'll discover that there's parts which are not good. Um, the Bible calls these parts sin. And there are the, there are the more obvious parts. Uh, greed can be obvious. Uh, hatred towards others can be obvious. Violence is obvious. Then there, uh, then there can be less obvious sins, like, um, like uh, unconscious racism, you know, um, or sexism, or, or things that, that, we, that we might hide away, like, like lust and pride. And it's easier to talk about other people, it's easier to talk about other people, like the, the hidden parts of their lives, to then actually take a frank look at our own lives. Um, and discover what's going on in here. In here. Because <laughs> when, when, when you follow that track, like the sort of introspection, then, then we discover that, um, that the evil and sin that we see often so clearly in the world, is, it's in here as well. Well, I said that almost anybody. If you go into the life of almost anybody. But a couple of thousand years ago, Jesus entered the world, and... And he had these confronting words for people who put on a front of being good. He called them whitewashed tombs. Can you put that next slide up for me, Sam? It's just another thing to add to the list of this Sunday. It's all good, don't worry, I'm going to read it. And actually, if you've got your Bible, then uh, that's even better, you can open that up. Anyway, Jesus entered the world, and he had these confronting words for people that had a front. He called them whitewashed tombs. Like, it's such a graphic image, isn't it? A gravesite that holds corpses, uh, and they've all been prettied up, flashed up to make them look like they're not a tomb or a gravesite. And he reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees and the scribes, the uh, Jewish religious leaders. He said, this is in Matthew 23, 25-28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might also be clean. I always think about this when I'm washing the dishes, weirdly enough. Make sure you clean the inside of the cup and the plate. Because it's right up here. Oh, cool. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's probably quite a nice way of saying that are full of decomposing. Mm. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but inside, within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that, eh? No. But, but, maybe, but maybe you wouldn't actually care. Maybe you'd go, well, Jesus, it's all very well for you to say that, but what's hidden away inside of you? What's in your closet, you know? 
Uh, what's that thing you say? Um, what's it in a way in your heart, Jesus? And that the only reason that Jesus could make a statement like that with any kind of authority is because he, he alone was without sin, was without sin, is without sin. He knew no sin because he's genuine, because he's the real deal, because he's inside and out, completely whole, completely authentic. And you read about the stories, and you know, go and read the stories about him and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, like the, 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 apostle, uh, the, the gospel accounts of Jesus. You'll see that Jesus is the only one who walked the earth that did not sin. He did no evil. He did no wrong. And then, like, how do we know? But how do we know that Jesus was good on the inside and out? He did. He did all these. He did all these amazing things and spoke amazing things. But but he offended people, and and these people they hated him. And so they manipulated the justice system, manipulated and leveraged their political networks, and arranged for Jesus to be, to be executed. He was innocent, and yet he was found guilty. He lived a life for other people, yet other people wanted him to die. And one of the clearest examples, I reckon, of Jesus' integrity, and that he is good on the inside and the out, comes from that moment that stands in all of eternity, when he was being executed. In, a, in an obscene mockery of a statue, Jesus is stripped naked, he has nails put through his hands and his feet, he has a crown of thorns embedded into his head, he's, uh, he's abused, he's mocked, people trying to humiliate him. Excruciating pain, right? Surrounded by these people who hate him. Surrounded by the Pharisees that wanted him to be dead. And he's on that cross and he and he looks he looks around them and he says, This might be on the next one, I can't remember. He says, Father, forgive them. He looks at the people, these Pharisees, Father, forgive them. He looks at the Romans, he looks at all the people of Jerusalem, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A whitewashed tomb wouldn't say that. A virtue signaler wouldn't say that. Because that moment of intense pressure, that moment of intense pain, that's when what's really inside actually comes out. Only someone who's good inside and out would say that. In this moment, like Jesus, broken open, physically broken, and then also metaphorically broken open for the world to see that what was underneath his good works and his good word, his good words and his teaching, everything like that. We discover that what's inside is absolute purity. That he was whole. Goodness through and through. Perfect on the inside and the out. And thank goodness that he prayed that prayer. I thank the Lord so much that Jesus prayed that prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because I receive that for me. That Father forgives me because... I don't know what I do. But we go back in time a little bit. Well before the cross was even on the horizon, and Jesus said this, this is the next slide, please Sam. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses my life, loses his life for my sake would, would find it. 
For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits, forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Matthew 16, 24-26. And I talked about this last week. That was why I'm kind of relieved that not all of you heard what I was talking about last week. It means I can cover some old ground. I talked about this last week. It's an invitation, isn't it? That's what I meant last, said last week. To be saved into true life. To be saved into uh, our meaning and our purpose and our fulfillment and our destiny. To save, be saved into eternal life. And to accept this invitation, we have to let go. This is again what I talked about last week. We have to let go of what we have, what we cling to. We need to harness ourselves instead to Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake... You will save it. It's the countercultural way. I talked about how this is the way to worship the king. This was the last week when I was talking about the wayada for the king. This is the way to worship the king, and it becomes an act. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. I mean, it's an action of trusting in the king, trusting that the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things in his hands, that. Um, as I was praying before the service, I said that he knows everything that's going on. He's, he's omniscient. That perhaps the creator of the universe might actually know a bit more about life on planet Earth than what I might know. Like his ways um, might actually be higher than my ways. Like that's entering in and, and um, letting go of, of uh, what I hold on to um, and, and embracing his ways, you know. Showing, showing that we consider him to be worthy of all that we have. Uh, worship is bringing all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God, to, know, to all that we know of the King. And that's why, it's, why it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey, because we discover more about ourselves as we, as we age, um, and as we learn more about ourselves. And, that, and also, the, one of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus is you don't suddenly uh, arrive in the sense of understanding God and all His infinite glory and beauty, but it's like, this is sort of an ongoing discovery of, God, oh God, he's so good. Next slide, please, Sam. Last week I said, Hear, O Israel, or I paraphrased, Hear, O capital vineyard, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Oh, next slide, if it's, if it's all right, not working. It's all right. It's all here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. So the Lord is one, you know. And we are to love God with all of who we are, as one whole being, as one. Integrated. Fully integrated. God is looking for people that will love Him outwardly and inwardly. God is looking for people who will love Him from the inside out, all of our beings, to be completely genuine, to have utter integrity, to be the same person on the inside as we are on the outside. Or to put it in a different way, to be the same person at church as we are in the car, or at home, or at work, or... <laughs> When someone frustrates us. Alright, another passage from last week. Where are we up to? 
Okay, the next one is uh, Romans 12, 1 to 2. <laughs> Listen to my voice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. It only says brothers up there, but I think that as brothers and sisters, we're all in this. We don't miss out. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and it is acceptable, and what is perfect. And once again, we see, are we getting the message? That God is after our entire lives. He wants our entire lives. And what, is, what we do with our bodies is equally as important as what we do in our, with our minds yeah. and with our thoughts. And the, <laughs> the bar keeps rising. <laughs> the bar keeps rising. He goes, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden I'm thinking about Jesus' living sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice when he went to the cross. Or in the Old Testament, you read of sacrifices uh, where the animal or something was put on an altar. And then there was occasionally these really supernatural uh, moments when the fire would come down from heaven and burn up that sacrifice. Oh, mate, do I want to be a sacrifice like that? Sounds painful. And then there has these words... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy. Holy and acceptable to God. God wants us to be holy. God is inviting us into holiness as He is holy. This is what I, this is what I think God is calling to, to this generation, all of us, to be holy. And acceptable to God. God wants us to be holy. But what does this mean? How can we be holy like God? Does that mean we've just got to try harder? What does it mean? Holy is holy is a word that we use a lot. Holy cow. Holy moly. Holy all kinds of things. Some of you are probably swearing in your minds right now. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> My old flatmate used to say, Holy Hector. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Holy Hector's dolphins, I don't know. Anyway, we use these words, eh? We take, we take these massive words, like loaded with all kinds of meaning, and then we turn it to something like holy moly, and it loses its, it loses its, its, its meaning and its power. Uh, holy is a word to describe God. Listen to this from Eugene Peterson. Next slide, if, it, if it's working. It is. <laughs> Eugene Peterson. He's famous for putting together the Message Bible, and he said some clever stuff. He said, we can't use God. God is not a tool or appliance or credit card. Holy is the word that sets God apart and above our attempts to enlist Him and our wish-fulfillment fantasies or our utopian schemes for making our mark on the world. Holy means that God is alive on God's terms, 
alive in a way that exceeds our experience and our imagination. Holy refers to a life burning with an intense purity that transforms everything it touches into itself. Oh, that's a good quote, Eugene. Should put that in the Bible. <laughs> Don't do that. We can't anyways, dead. But, um, that wasn't a joke. You shouldn't be laughing. Well, he's with Jesus, isn't he? the presence of God. The Hebrew word for holy means separate, set apart. It describes the otherness of God and how his character and his nature are so much greater and so much more wonderful than any other person or thing or smartphone or computer game or car. God is holy. God is holy. God the Father is holy. Jesus the Son of God is holy. The Holy Spirit is, yeah, it's his name, the Holy Trinity, holy, holy, holy. And here we are, ordinary people, because let's be honest, some of us have strengths, some of us have weaknesses. We are so aware, we are so aware of ourselves, our strengths and our weaknesses. We're ordinary people, our goodness and our sinfulness. And here we are. And God, holy, holy, holy God, is inviting us into holiness, to be holy, like He is holy, calling us to holy lives, to offer ourselves, our entire lives, on the altar, to be holy and acceptable to God. Going back in time even further than, further than Jesus and the Lord spoke to the Israelites, and it was during their uh, like this epic escape where they'd been slaves in, in Egypt. And the, uh, the Lord uh, saved them from slavery, and He's forming these people into a nation, a nation of a nation of former slaves. And He says to them, "Because can you imagine their self-esteem? They've been enslaved in Egypt all these years, generations enslaved, being treated like animals. Can you imagine how they would have felt about themselves? They probably didn't feel all that special. And, and God says, speak to all of the congregation, to the people of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's in Leviticus 19. He's calling to these ordinary people who probably felt that they were not really worth very much. And he's calling to them and he's saying, you are to be set apart as I am set apart. You are to be set apart from the cultures and the people around you that you've known so well, that you've grown up with. You are to be set apart from Egypt and everything that they did. You are to be set apart from the people and the nation that you're heading into, the land of Canaan, land of Canaan, sorry, Mum Maya. Elocution is not very good this morning. The land of Canaan. You're, you're to be set apart from them. You're to be somehow different from them. <clears throat> Don't do what they do. To be like him. Nicky Gumbel from the HTB Church in London, he says, You are to be holy to the extent that you are holy, sorry, you're holy to the extent that your life is devoted to him. And your actions reflect his character. Holiness and wholeness are closely, closely related. And God wants the whole of your life. 
You're holy to the extent that your life is devoted to Him and your actions reflect His character. Holiness and wholeness closely, are closely related. God wants the whole of your life. So holiness is being set apart. But it's not being different just for the sake of being different. It's to reflect the character of God, of who God is. And often this is not the same as the culture that we're surrounded by. Our culture has some pretty cool stuff. We've got, Wellington has the world's best coffee. Can I get a name? <laughs> CV's got really good coffee too. We've got really good stuff going on in our culture. We've got great stuff going on in our culture. But our lives are, we've been called to lives that reflect the character of God. And, and sometimes, often in fact, the way of God, the character of God is not the same as the character of the culture that we're surrounded by. Um, Eugene Peterson, again quoting from him, he said, don't become, so, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. Pretty good, Eugene. So a journey towards whole, a journey towards holiness is a journey towards wholeness. Wholeness is where our inside and our outside lives are in perfect union. Wholeness is where all of our being is in perfect union with the Holy Trinity of God. So at the start, I talked about how our culture tends to examine uh, public, public figures. And, and when, they, when their lives are examined, then there's always these unforgivable sins that are, that are uncovered, like that, uh, you know, like that 18-year-old up in Palmerston North, being judged for what he did when he was 14. Society judges a person's apology. Are they, are they actually sincere enough? Are they really genuinely sorry uh, from the inside out? Or are they faking it? But when we come to the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, who knows all things, who knows really what's on the inside of us, who is the definition of holiness and wholeness, and when we come to him and we, and we say sorry and we seek forgiveness, um, then because of Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross, he does forgive us. He's not demanding that we've got to be... Um, penitent enough or beat up ourselves enough before he forgives us. We simply come to him, we go, Lord Jesus, you know I didn't treat my daughter as well as I could have this morning and she got upset with me. Please forgive me. And, and, the, and the forgiveness of Jesus, this is like, you know, you compare, you, you compare uh, our culture and, and the way that our culture might forgive sin, but then you compare it to Jesus. Jesus, when we come to forgive when Jesus forgives us, he takes our sin as far away from us as east is from the west. And that's quite far. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Our, our culture doesn't use words like sin, but, but we do have descriptions like I mentioned before, like unconscious bias or, uh, or racism or sexism or whatever it is. Okay? And people are then are labelled with these descriptions, and that's who they are. And then, in our society, you know, because there's, because there's a concept of sin, then there has to be a solution to that. What are you going to do if you are labelled as, as a racist or a sexist? And what are you going to do about it? 
The solution then is to educate yourself, fix yourself, pull up your socks, improve yourself through self-effort. And that's exhausting. It might get, maybe it helps. No, I think education does help in some ways. Become whole through self-effort. That's the story that we're told. The creator of the universe, he's got a better solution, doesn't he? He forgives, and in, and in the mercy of God, he heals us from the inside out. We come to God who is holy and whole, and he forgives us of our sins. And then he, then he walks hand in hand with us, transforming us from the inside out in relationship with him. And this is really important, that it's in relationship with God. Because if, it, if we separate it from relationship with God, then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're listening to me and you're going, James is just telling me off. He's just telling me I shouldn't be uh, proud um, and I've just got to fix myself. And that's, to you, in the negative sense, that's, that's a negative sense of, of religion. That's where we're trying to... Um, we're trying to become acceptable to God through our own self-effort, but that's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel invites us into a relationship with God, and he leads us on this journey of healing from the inside out, so that we're becoming genuine, becoming whole, becoming free. We're throwing off the shackles of sin which entangle us, even allowing our thought life, our minds, to come into alignment with God and the character of God. And this is where... These are some intentional uh, practices, uh, intentional, regular, frequent practices of relationship with an invisible God become so powerful. These are just some examples. But making time in our daily lives to be with Jesus. Sacrificing our time to be with the creator of time. Or thinking about it another way. Another way giving up the gift of time that he has given us. To be, to be with him. To be with the one who loves us and loves us. Loves for us to show him our affection for him. Prayer is another one. That talking to God. Talking to God and listening to what he might be saying in reply. Jesus is, is the word of God. He, he, word, communicates. It's a communicator. He's a communicating God. Studying the Bible. Uh, <laughs> Like these, these are the stories of Jesus' life. In it, we can, we can discover more about the character of God and the way that God rescues people. We can discover what God is looking for in people. It's very practical. <laughs> and, and here it tells us how we should use, how we should use our mouths, how, how we should use our money, all kinds of things. But as we read it in relationship with God, because God will, will highlight things that He wants to address in our, in our lives, rather than smashing us over the head with a black book. Studying the Bible, God's written word for us, it's such a gift, where we can read about Jesus. And there's all, the Bible, sometimes it's quite hard to follow, because there's all kinds of different books in the Bible. There's... You go from uh, stories of the creation of everything, and then you're ending up, there's a, there's a whole, the, my favorite part, like the whole middle of the Bible is Psalms, is songs. You read of crazy prophecies of multi-headed beasts 
um, letters that um, letters that someone wrote to other people, and you only get one half of the conversation. You're only getting letters from Paul. You don't know what the church is saying in reply. You don't know why, why he's writing, but you get this letter from him. That's in the Bible. It's this beautiful, beautiful book written by people. Yeah. <laughs> Endless things you can discover in there. Eugene Peterson, he, you know, I said, he, I quoted him earlier, and he said, we can't use God. God is not a tool or an appliance or a credit card. Like, and so, so these practices that I'm talking, I'm talking about, they're not, they're not a means to get something from God. They're the means of relationship. Because, guess what? God's invisible. So we have to do different things to, um, to be able to have, re- to have a relationship with God. It's easy for me to, to talk to Tessa and have coffee with her and stuff. I can see her. I can see how she's responding. How do you do that with an invisible God? You do it with these, these practices. And others, heaps of others. Did someone say fasting? Not me. Too hungry. <laughs> and as you discover, like in, in any relationship, and in a marriage is just like that, we discover parts of ourselves which are not really aligning very well with 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 God um, or. In a marriage, we just in a marriage you discover so much about yourself that uh, you, you didn't know. Well, I thought I was perfect before I got married. <laughs> I thought I was the catch of the day. It's true, though, eh? And actually, any kind of relationships like that. Um, I know this church is great, but man, we're people, and um, people do people stuff, to use that old quote, and we're two or more together, then there's conflict. (laughs) 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 So the same in in relationship with God. We discover parts of ourselves which don't align, and a word to describe this is parts of ourselves which are unholy. And in these moments where we discover these parts, we have a choice. He always gives us a choice. Do we, do we give it up? Um, do we give it up? Do we let go of it? Like it might, be, it might be ways of thinking, thought patterns. It might be ways of speaking. It might be ways of behaving. Uh, you can imagine. And so on. And so we either have a choice, like do we accept the invitation of the Lord into holiness and into wholeness and let that thing go, or uh, do, we, do we actually choose, no, Lord, I'm, I'm going to hold on to that for now and, and ignore the invitation of the Lord. The Lord always invites invite, an invitation to holiness as an invitation to life and all of its fullness and freedom in relationship with God who loves us. It's got to be in relationship because only God is holy. And in relationship, we harness ourselves to the one who is holy. Our whole lives can be a wayasa to the king. Our whole lives resonating from the inside out, a melody for the king. How are we going?
Because holiness can sometimes sound like a bad word, like something that we want, what we want to run away from. But it's, I think with all these things, it's an invitation to something that's actually really, really awesome. And, um, and actually our hearts cry. So the question is, are we ready to accept the Lord's invitation and to lay down our lives as living sacrifices? Living means sort of like ongoing, day by day, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Um, in Psalm 24, can we put up the next one? It's disappeared. Did I turn it off? Psalm 24. Psalm 24, I think, is a, is a song, is a psalm for now. For this season, for this moment, an invitation from the Creator. Psalm 24. Is that up on the screen yet? All right, I'm going to read it. So, just listen, just listen to these words, okay? Maybe, um, let's just use it as a, as a moment of, of devotion rather than like listening to another fellow preaching. Listen to what the Lord might be speaking to you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. It sounds so daft that we welcome the creator of the universe into a room in the universe. We do. Because we want to meet with you, Lord. And we know we've all got our hang-ups. And, and we want to become the people who you are creating a people for yourself, a, a people who are holy and pleasing to you, acceptable to you. So Lord, pray that you'd speak to us through these words. The earth is the Lord's. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All that fills it. The earth and all those who dwell therein, but he has founded it upon the seas, and he has established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. We pause in your presence. So lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Jesus. Lift up your heads, O Kuaha. And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Pause in your presence. 
Lord, I believe that in this day and in this time, you are raising up a generation of people. You're inviting us all to ascend your hill. You're inviting us to stand in your holy place. And Lord, we can't come in by our own self-effort. Lord, we can't come in into your holy place on our own. But we can come in when we're robed with the robe of Jesus and when we come under his protection and his arm of acceptance and forgiveness. Holy Spirit, do your work in us, we pray. Would you lead us, Lord? Even if it means bringing to mind things that are painful that we need to address. And helping us, Lord. Healing us from the inside out so that we are whole. So that we are a people of integrity. Through and through. Not fake. But genuine. Like you are, Jesus. To be, in a weird sense, living statues of you, Jesus. So that when people look at us, they see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father.